All right, good morning, everybody. Pumped to have you guys here with us in worship today. How about y'all stand and uh, hey, we'll do some worshiping.
So this morning, uh, we're, we're going to be playing a new song next. And, uh, and it's a song that extols the many excellencies of our God. And, and it goes through the things about him that make him so good to us. And it reminded me of this scripture that I want to share with you at the risk of sounding a little self-aggrandizing. Um, it is Isaiah 61.1, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. And I want... That's what I want to do with this next song. We are going to be, probably, a lot of us are going to be having a really crazy next week. And I want to be able to share with you a song that might be a balm to your soul. And that's what I want you to do during this next song, is reflect on the fact that God has rescued us and that he has delivered us from being captives of sin and he has chosen us and made us his own. And so if you'll just join me in this next song um, and reflect on those things as we sing it, that'd be super great.
adopted, call your own, your family. Now I am yours, a former captive, free. Adopted, called your chosen us. We thank you that you, you had compassion on sinners, and while we were still sinners, you loved us enough to send your son to die for us and to liberate us from our captivity to sin. And, and God, I ask that you would remind us that you are going to liberate us entirely and that we will have 
There will be no more captivity when you come back. Jesus, when you come back and when you establish your reign and your rule on earth for eternity, there will be no captivity. There will only be freedom in love in Christ. And we thank you that we have this hope. And we ask that you would fix the eyes of our heart upon it. We love you, God. And we say these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Good morning, Renewal. You can all have a seat. Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Judith. Hi, and I'm Adri. And we're so glad that you are here. I hope you guys enjoyed your extra hour of sleep. I know I definitely did. Oh, my goodness. That sleep is amazing. Um, if you could please pull out your phones and this card that you should have received when you came in. We are asking everyone to please check into their service, whether you're joining us online or in person. We're doing this so that we can stay within the guidelines the city has set for us. Today, if you are new or newish to Renewal, we are having our next steps. So this is a four-part series. Today is the first uh, installment of uh, the first part that we'll do. It's happening after this service. So if you're here, awesome. We're glad that you're here. Stay, stick around. Uh, during this time, you'll get to hear more about those next steps to take in your journey of faith. You'll get to meet new people and also hear from Pastor Jared. We also have some free things to give away. So we hope that you stick around and learn more about taking those next steps in your journey of faith. Today we are continuing in our series about work, and specifically, Pastor Jared will be sharing more about dealing with stress, and I know that I've been going through a lot of stress at work lately, and so this message we hope that really uh, speaks to you and helps you deal with stress. Uh, before Pastor Jared comes on, let's go ahead and take some time to pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in this place, for being in our hearts, God, and we pray that... Um, you would help us to navigate stress well, help us to navigate it in a way that Jesus would. Lord, we thank you so much for your love. We pray that you would be glorified through this time where we're worshiping you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. I'm Jared Kirk, the lead pastor of Renewal. Thank you for joining us in person and online. We know a lot of you are watching online throughout the week, and we look forward to joining you in person when it's safe and you're able to do that. Today, we're going to start talking about dealing with stress, and I think it's good timing because there's a lot going on in our world right now, whether that's in work or it's in politics. So let me start with a, a quote from writer Danze Pace. Here's what she says. Stress is the trash of modern life. We all generate it, but if you don't dispose of it properly, it will pile up and overtake your life. Isn't that true? I mean, I, I know that I've dealt with it. You've de we've all dealt with it before where the stress gets to the level in your life that it's just completely overwhelming and it ruins, it steals all your joy, it ruins your day, 
it can ruin a lot more than that. It can have some very destructive consequences in your life. Um, you know, I, I, I dealt with that especially when this organization was young. Heather and I moved to Boston about seven and a half years ago to start Renewal Church, and it's like starting a business in the sense that you show up, there's no employees, you're the only one, and everything has to get done, and it's all on you. And so I remember there were times in that, those early days where I was really learning, how do I deal with stress in a godly way and not let it not let it uh, turn into negative things and unhealthy things in my life. We all have to learn how to deal with that. And we're doing that in the context of our series about work, but let's face it, let's be honest, there's something else coming up this week. I don't know if you've heard or not, but in, a, in two days, there's a national election. It's very important. And that has added to the sense of stress and anxiety that we all feel in our lives, that, that we all feel every day. And so I think this is a very timely message because stress doesn't just come from work, although that's going to be the primary way that we're looking at it today. So here are some of the signs that you're stressed in your life. Let me, let me know if any of these apply to you during COVID quarantine. Number one, I eat a bunch of junk food. That was a little too real for me, eating junk food. My body is in pain and tight. Or maybe if you have problems sleeping. Anybody have problems sleeping? Uh, if your heart races, if your appetite has changed, sometimes you get headaches more often or if you're getting sick. Those are all from the Cleveland Clinic, signs of stress, things we've all experienced before. Here's the simple truth. We know what it's like. We know what, it, what the signs are in our body when we get stressed or overwhelmed because of work, and it might be because of the amount of work that you're dealing with in your life. It could be, um, like we mentioned, some things outside of work, like the election that are causing stress in your life. Um, it also, with COVID and the way that people have been working, there's been a real change, I feel like, in the blurring between work and personal life. And so there was a man in my community group who was sharing with us recently that um, he, he had a, a job where, where you had to work long hours. He's an accountant, so there were certain seasons of the year that was really busy. But he said it was before COVID, it was always you would go into work, and when you're done, you come home and that's it. Whether you come home at six or you come home at eight or you come home at nine, you come home and you're done. But now he might get a call at 8.30 at night, nine o'clock at night, hey, hey, uh, we need you to hop on this meeting for 10 minutes. And the, the boundaries between work and personal have just been completely obliterated. That increases the stress in your life. And we're talking about this in church, number one, because we all deal with it, but number two, because I really believe at the core of my being that God has something for you deeper than just tips and tricks, Something in your soul that helps you deal with that sense of stress or worry or anxiety that grows and builds inside of you. Because if you go online and Google it, and you say, how do I deal with stress? What do I do when I overwhelmed? You could probably tell me. You could stand up here and tell everyone what you're going to find when you go online and Google it, right? It's going to say you need to eat well. You need to get plenty of rest. You need to take a break. You know, every, every 90 minutes, make sure you get off your screen and go for a walk. Make sure you do some deep breathing exercises. And you know what? That's all good stuff. Like, we should all be doing all of those stuff. All of that helps. But, but when God is in your life, there is something, there's something deeper. There's something more fundamental about what he wants to work in your soul. And so instead of just trying to treat the symptoms of stress that you experience in your life, God wants to get down into that place that brings you peace no matter how chaotic or how overwhelming your life gets around you, or how overwhelming the world gets around you, um, because for, for too many people, the, the, the shows that we watch, the podcasts that we listen to, the people that we talk to, it's all chaos all the time. It's all chaotic. The, it feels like the world is ending, 
And that has a way of, of stealing the peace from your life. But there's a different way with God is in your life. And that's why we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today. Because in the Bible, we're going to encounter the resources available for you as you're trying to deal with stress, as you're trying to, um, it, when you feel overwhelmed, what does God have to do with that? How, how does God interact with you in the middle of that? And we're in a series called Don't Waste Your Work because, because work is often the source of stress. And what, we mentioned some of the reasons, but one of the big reasons is because work is people. And people stress me out. I don't know about you, but people stress me out. And so we're looking at this uh, called Don't Waste Your Work. And we don't want, I don't want you to lose your purpose at work. I don't want work to become monotonous or just because of the stress that you're facing there. And on top of that, our church exists to develop urban professionals to impact global cities for Christ. And a huge part of the impact that you're going to have in your life comes through your work. Um, you know, it's easy... Uh, to slip into the mistake of separating your, your faith and the kind of purpose and impact that you have uh, there from your work. But those things are integrated because when you work for, for the Lord, and, and the Bible says you can do anything you do as though you're doing it for God and he accepts it. That's a crazy teaching. He accepts it as worship. That, so that whether you are cutting someone's hair or you're looking at spreadsheets, there can be purpose in the middle of that. And so this impact that you're going to have in a positive way on the world, a lot of it is going to come from you connecting your worship and your work. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verses 6 through 10. So take out your Bible or turn on your Bible, and I'm going to read it, and we're going to talk about it. <clears throat> For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Now, what, what's happening in this text is the Apostle Paul's writing to a group of believers in Corinth. That's why the letter's called Corinthians. There are two existing letters that we possess, and we call them 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. They didn't have like a creative naming competition with the books of the Bible. And there's actually a third letter to the Corinthians that no longer exists. It's not extant in history. It came before 1 Corinthians. It's just sort of lost history. So we have 1 and 2 Corinthians. And Paul went to Corinth, and he established the church there. But the issue that he's dealing with in this letter is that Paul was a very humble guy. He, um, he wasn't flashy. He, he was very simple. And in fact, um, because he did not want to be a financial burden to the churches, he often worked a side job during the day. He would make tents, make tents, and at night he would, he would talk to people about Jesus and meet people's needs and help them follow, follow Jesus and those sorts of things. He would do ministry. <clears throat> and after he departed... A new group of apostles showed up in Corinth, and they were slick. So they dressed nicer, they had a better education, so they had better oratory skills, they were better speakers, and they were happy to take the Corinthians' money. And the Corinthians' hearts turned sort of from Paul being that primary source of influence in their lives to these new apostles, and Paul gave them the nickname, this ironic nickname of super apostles. And just think for a second, is there anyone in sort of like the Christian world that you can think of, um, maybe you've seen them somewhere, who has like this super slick polished image, like excellent world-class presentation skills, 
and is happy to take people for all they're worth. <laughs> and that's what Paul was facing. And so he writes this letter to them to say, hey, listen, my ministry to you was, the proof of it was not in my skill as a public speaker. The proof of it was actually in my suffering. Because Paul had a horrendous time. I mean, he, he would often embarrassingly be run out of town or people would, a mob would gather and, and, and try to beat him up. And the, sometimes the police would have to come and rescue him from the mob and things like that. So, so Paul had suffered and he said, that's actually a sign of the truth of my, of my ministry to you. And that's why he used the language of jars of clay. He said, we have this treasure. And when he, when he was talking about the treasure, he was talking about the message about Jesus. And he said, we have that in jars of clay. So it's like his life is fragile. You ever felt fragile? Like just the wrong thing out of left field could come and just break your life. And, um, but he said that, that, that sense of fragility is actually how God works. And a lot of commentators think here that what Paul is actually referencing is a story from the Old Testament about Gideon, where um, uh, Gideon had an army of 30,000 men, and God said, no, I'm not going to let you go into battle with 30,000 men because it's going to look like it was done by your strength, not by my strength. And so as the story goes, God whittles down the army until there's just 300 people left, and he has... Uh, he has Gideon and all his men take these torches and then he put, they put jar, they're lit and they put a, uh, a clay jar on top of them. And then it, at just the right signal, they smash the jars and the enemies can see all the torches of the 300 men and they think they're surrounded. It throws the enemy into confusion and God's people gain the victory, but not by their strength. They gain their victory by listening to and obeying the Lord. And that's what, that's what Paul is calling forward here that I might be fragile, but if I am following and obeying the Lord, he will work powerfully through it in ways that I cannot. So what we have recorded in this chapter is a gift. Because as the rest of the chapter unfolds, Paul is going to explain, although I was overwhelmed, and, and the, the words he used for that, right, he says, we were hard-pressed, perplexed, in despair, struck down. Although he was overwhelmed, he's going to say, this is how I got through it. And as we, look, as, we, as we listen in, we gain that same thing. It's like, what can get us through when we're overwhelmed? And it all has to do with Jesus. And so that's what I want to share with you for, for, the, for most of our time today. It's the five things that, that you can do to persevere when you're overwhelmed. And they come from the rest of the chapter. As we look, kind of the verses are in order. So here's the setup for it. When I feel overwhelmed, I can persevere because... And the first thing is, I can persevere because faith keeps me from fainting. Faith, in the Bible, is uh, trusting God enough to do what he says. And that's a very powerful definition of faith, and one that you need to keep in mind right now when you're overwhelmed, because the more overwhelmed and stressed you are, the more tempted you are to quit. But faith says, I'm going to stay in the game and keep doing what God has asked me to do, trusting that he's going to be faithful to me on the other side of that, that he's going to come through on all of his promises. Um, Paul, in verse 13 of the chapter, says this, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. So according to Paul, he says, because faith is present in his life, because he believes in God, because he trusts God, he can continue his work of speaking the gospel. Now, he's quoting here from Psalm 116. 
10. And the way these quotes work in the Bible is that New Testament authors will quote from the Old Testament. The part that's a quote, they've, the Bible translators have, have put it in quotes, I believed, therefore I've spoken. That's the part that's from Psalms. The New Testament authors <clears throat> will quote from Old Testament passages, and it's supposed to call to mind the whole thought world of the entire psalm. And so that entire psalm is about uh, trusting God in faith when life is collapsing around you. So here's an example. Here's the verse before the one Paul quotes in Psalm 116. It says, For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. You know, that may be an important verse for you to memorize this week, especially with the election, if you're feeling overwhelmed by that. That may be the, the verse from the Word of God that you need to hide in your heart this week to help give you peace through those anxious and stressful times. So, but what we see from Paul's life overall, overall is that faith means trusting God enough to obey him, believing that he's going to come through when you're at your lowest point, believing that God does his best work when our life circumstances are at their worst. Here's the second thing. Um, I can persevere when I'm overwhelmed because hope keeps me from despairing. We see this in verse 14. In English, hope implies an uncertain outcome. I hope my new job turns out well. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But in the New Testament, hope is a noun, not a verb. It's not, I hope. I hope things turn out well in the afterlife. I'm going to give it a shot. In the New Testament, hope is that thing in the future that is a certainty because God has declared it, and I am living in light of that future certainty. That's hope in the Bible. So Paul talks about hope by talking about the source of a Christian's hope, which is the resurrection. He says in verse 14, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And so he brings up the resurrection, and he says, listen, our great hope is that, there, that death has been defeated. And so I like to imagine death as a, a dam holding back the water. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was like there was a, a crack in the dam. Now there's just the tiniest trickle of water coming through. But it means that ultimately that dam is going to fail, and it, there's no way that it can hold back the torrent. Jesus was the first one to rise from the dead, but one day all those who place their faith in him will rise from the dead as well. That is the source of a Christian's hope. And what this does for you practically when you're stressed and overwhelmed, you, you you can see this, is that it widens and enlarges your perspective so that the things that you see happening around you as, as the world seems like it's crumbling or spinning out of control, whether that's a small world like a family or it's, or it's the world of your work or it's, it feels like our entire country, um, it allows you to back up out of that and say, yes, things are crumbling, but I have, I have a hope that can never crumble that I'm looking forward to something that, that can't be destroyed or taken away. It can't be stolen. It, it never disintegrates. That, that there's, there's, no, there's no tension, there's no chaos, there's no warring factions in heaven. And so I, I am headed towards a hope that is stable and firm, that no power of hell, that no scheme of any man can, can take that away from me. And so in the middle of your chaos, it gives you incredible peace. That is the hope that you, have, that you look forward to and that keeps you from sinking. Uh, the third thing, that the reason that we can persevere when we're overwhelmed, is that purpose keeps me working. It's been said that a big enough why can get you through almost any what, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, 
when your work becomes so overwhelming that you're tempted to quit, you need a purpose to get you through that. And Paul shares his purpose with us, which is 2 Corinthians 4.15. He says, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And so we see a, a, a twin purpose here for the Apostle Paul. It's um, glorify God and make disciples. And the make disciples piece is really clear. He says this is for your benefit, right? He wants them to know about Jesus. He wants them to grow up in Jesus and be taught and have their hope set firmly on him and not to get so um, <clears throat> out of sorts about the circumstances around them or to be seduced by kind of slick teachers, super apostles. So it's to build up the church, but the other part of that is to glorify God, which is to show who God is and what he's like. And you can do that with every single part of your life, including your work. Really, because you were made by a creator, you were made for a creator, you're made, you're made, you were made for this to glorify him. There's really nothing, there's no part of your life, there's no little corner that, that can't glorify him. The big chunks, right? Have I trusted in his son, Jesus Christ? Um, is, my, is my marriage reflective of God's love for the church? Is my singleness reflective of God's love for the world? Those are the, those are the big rocks of you glorifying God with your life, that when people look at your life, they see, they see the way that you love, and they say, oh, that, that's what God is like. Um, they see the way that you live with holiness, and they say, oh, that's, that's what God's like. You know, they, they, they see your passionate pursuit of those who are far from God, and they say, oh, that's what God is like. They, they see the way that you sacrifice for the poor. They see the way that you advocate for justice, and they say, oh, that's, that's what God is like. And to the degree that you offer your work to the Lord, and you work diligently, and you work purposefully, and you say, God, this is for you, your work is a part of that too. You glorify him with it. And when people see that within the totality of your life, they say, I see, I see what the Lord is like. That purpose keeps you going. All right, number four, when I'm overwhelmed, I can persevere because the Spirit keeps me from sinking. We see this one in verse 16. When you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, God gives you the Holy Spirit as a gift, and the Spirit is God's personal presence with you. And the Spirit does a lot of things in a believer's life. That's like, that's an entire sermon series. But one of the things that the Spirit does is that the Spirit encourages you, strengthens you, and the Bible uses the language of renewing you. So your, your inner world is renewed and built up, and it's like, I've got, I've got another day in me now because of the strength of God. So you may not have the strength you need to deal with the chaos you see around you or the stress you're dealing with, but God does. And the way that he gives you his strength is through his spirit. Uh, We see this idea of renewing in in, uh, verse 16 where it says, Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Like, how does that renewal happen? It happens through the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, one of the most amazing things about knowing God is that no matter how stressful and out of control things are, you're never alone. And I just think we know the power of that when you have a true friend in life. It, you, have, you ever, have you ever made a work friend because your work was such, a, was such a horrendous, toxic environment that you just bonded with this person over how stupid everyone was? Like, like when you've, <laughs> just me, you know, <clears throat> when you go through 
um, when you go through that with somebody, like, you know, it helps, when you have someone by your side, it helps you get through that kind of stuff, right? But even when you, even when you're physically alone, when you know God and have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, you are never alone. It is one of the most amazing things about knowing God. You are never, ever, ever, ever alone because God's personal presence is with you. His spirit is with you. And he gives you strength to get you through. Let me, let me share with you a verse uh, that some of you may need to print out and put on your, put on your mirror this week. Um, it's a very famous verse about God's renewing power in your life. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31 says this, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When you have God's spirit in your life as personal presence, you don't have to worry about sinking because even if you don't have the strength you need, God does and he wants to give it to you. All right, here's the, the final point. So let's recap. Um, when I'm overwhelmed, I can persevere because number one, faith keeps me from fainting. Two, hope keeps me from despairing. Three, purpose keeps me working. And four, the spirit keeps me from sinking. So here's the final one. Number five, um, focus keeps me from quitting. We see this in verses 17 and 18. Paul keeps his focus on eternity, his eye on the prize. Eternity puts everything into proper perspective for you. Eternity reminds me of what's really important, and eternity also puts my suffering into perspective. Listen to what he says in verses 17 and 18. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so here's, here's a man who has suffered, in all likelihood, more than anyone who's in this room or who's watching online. Because Paul had been run out of town. There, there were times where mobs had surrounded him and beat him. There was, there was one time in particular where they, thought he, they stopped beating him because they thought he was dead, and they left him for dead. Um, there were times where he would go without food or without clothing. Times when he was imprisoned imprisoned for telling people about how much God loves them through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, and so what he's doing in this verse is not minimizing what he's been through. He's not shrinking the size of his suffering. He is expanding his vision of eternity. The, the only way you can say that troubles like that are light and momentary afflictions is to, is to take your your troubles, your sufferings in this life, and weigh them on a scale against the glory of eternity. And when they are put into, this, into the proper perspective, in comparison, your present sufferings are light and momentary afflictions and not worth even comparing to the glory that's going to come. And some of you have had a horrendous year, and I know that. I know that. It hasn't been a great year for just about anybody, but some of you have had a truly terrible year. Um, and, I, and I'm not going to stand here and say, this is why the Lord did it. I don't know that. But I do know that in light of eternity, there will come a day, maybe it's 10,000 years from now, when you can look back and begin to say, ah, I can start to see what the Lord was doing. 
and that he was good to me, even in the midst of my heartbreak and trouble. When you keep your eyes fixed on eternity, it will keep you going and put this world and all of its brokenness into the proper perspective. It's going to keep you from quitting. It's going to keep you from quitting your job, quitting your marriage, quitting your education, quitting your faith. It's going to keep you from quitting, um, quitting on your calling. When you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, it keeps you running in pursuit of him so that someday you could gain him. And your prize is him. You know, as we think about how to, what to do with this, we've talked about faith and hope, um, talked about the Holy Spirit and eternity. And you think, you know, man, if you Google it, those tips are a lot easier. You, know, you just get up and go for a walk. Like, what, what do you do with this? And I want to give you two really simple things. They're, they're incredibly simple. But I don't want you to toss them out of hand because they're simple. They're also profound. And they're life-changing. And one of them is this. Um, attendance at church matters. And the reason that it matters is not because, just because God says so. You know, in Sunday school, like, my, my children are little, right? And so they say, well, like, why do we go to church? We, and we start with, well, you know, God says, do not forsake the meeting together of the saints. So we start with, God asks us to. And you know what? If you, if you love the Lord, that's a great reason. That's, that is a good enough reason. But, man, there's so much more to it than that. You know, God's commands always come with God's reasoning. And every day you are surrounded by a world you are surrounded by messages. You are hearing all of these voices telling you that what you see is all there is. And what you experience, what you can taste and touch and smell, that's all there is. And that when you die, there's nothing. And so, so what happens next Tuesday is everything. And here's the truth. What happens next Tuesday is important, but it's not everything. There is a... There is there is an unseen realm that affects how you live and work and pray and, and love and eat and every, every day. And there's an eternity. And so when you, when you come to church like you have today, or when you make the decision to, because it's safe, you're going to not just come online, but you're going to come in person. When you make that decision, you hear the voice of your Savior calling you on, saying, run the race. There's a prize at the end. Don't get distracted. So you're putting yourself in an environment where you're reminded of eternal things. So that's the first thing. Discipleship starts with attendance. But here's the second thing. Part of the Christian life is prayer. And prayer is your, your heavenly Father saying, I want to hear from you. I want you to talk to me. And that the intimacy that you can experience with God is truly life-changing. But I do think that most of us don't really know what prayer is for. Um, we, we know that it's talking to God, and we know that we're supposed to ask the Lord for what we want. But there is a part of prayer that God gave us as a gift because it's how we're supposed to deal with difficult and stressful things. That instead of taking our stress and our difficulties and um, overeating, or under eating, 
or looking at pornography or drinking too much or going on a clicking spree and shopping online. Right? Those are all ways that we are tempted to respond sinfully to the pressure in our life. But instead of that, God calls you forward in a better way saying, hey, all of that pressure, all of those troubles, all of that burden, bring it to me and put it at my feet. And so when you wake up first thing and you run to your father, you take your burdens and you lay them down and, and, and everything that you've, that you've picked up from this out of control world, you put it at your father's feet and say, God, you are in control. And although I didn't get what I want, and although you didn't say yes to that prayer, and although that person is no longer with me, and although I, it's God, I trust you. And you learn to deal with the hurts and the suffering and the stress of life in a godly way. And so I want to I want to encourage you this week, maybe more than any other week of this entire year of 2020, and that is saying something. I want to challenge you to wake up and pray first thing every morning. And if you don't know what to say, I would say wake up, get down on your knees next to your bed and say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In Jesus' name. And you've put it all at his feet. The God who loves you so much he was willing to die for you. That's a God you can trust. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But I don't want to close this message without letting you know that all of these things come to you. All of these blessings come to you through Jesus and if you don't have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, you're missing out on this life that God has for you, eternal life in heaven, the inheritance that he has for you, but also the blessings of his presence today. And so I'm going to pray a prayer asking God to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. And maybe today you need to make that prayer your prayer. So would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I'm going to pray and you can pray along silently if if God is speaking to your soul today. Let's pray. God, we need you. Our country needs you. We pray for peace and we pray for justice for our nation. But God, I need you. I am overwhelmed by this life and I have often made it worse with my own sin. God, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross so my sin could be forgiven. I believe that he rose from the dead so that I can have freedom and hope. God, I want to live for you, not for me. Would you come into my life and save me? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, I want you to let us know because we want to send you some information about baptism. If that's a little bit scary, you're just going to get an email. We're not going to show up at your house and dunk you in your bathtub. So let us know, and I want to send that to you, um, and I want to pray for you too, so make sure you do that. All right, to close the service today, our hosts are going to come back up. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We are going to get ready to give in just a moment. So, at this, so after the service today, we are going to be having our Next Steps experience. We are going to be meeting in that room right after the service, and I hope to see you guys there.
As we get together to give, we wanted to celebrate uh, some things that were able to happen because you all are such a generous church. So because of your faithful giving, this past week we had a dozen people join us for our seminar on navigating through singleness with faith. And because of that seminar, we had about uh, eight people or so decide to come together and start a group where they're studying the new rules of love, sex, and dating. And so thank you so much for giving because we were able to help people grow in their faith and take those steps of getting to know Jesus. So thank you all for your faithfulness in giving. Next week, we hope that you join us online or in person. We're having a special guest who uh, will be our potential worship pastor, and so we would love for you all to get a chance to meet him. Thank you all so much for joining us this week. We hope you have a great time this week. See you guys next week.